Marketing Podcast, your weekly look into the hotel travel marketing industry. And I am joined today by Eminem. Not the rapper, but Melissa and Misha. Say hey guys. Howdy ho. We're actually delicious chocolate candy. Oh, Eminem's. <laughs> well, hey, M, M, and S for Stuart. We are oh, Eminem. There you go. That would be a much funnier joke to start with. <laughs> we'll know for it next time. Okay. Well, Pete's not here this week, and a bunch of people are out because it is a holiday weekend here in the U.S. It's the 4th of July, I guess 240 years ago. U.S. declared independence from Britain, and then this year, Britain declared independence from the EU. So, funny how things go around in circles like that. But, we're not going to get into Brexit, whatever your opinion is on that. I think it's going to affect the travel industry in a lot of different ways, but we're not here to talk about politics. We're here to talk about hotel marketing. So... We're also here to talk about something completely unrelated, which is our local college team. Woohoo! Yeah, so how about that? The Coastal Carolina Chanticleers won the College World Series this week in baseball. For you you people in England, that is very similar to cricket. Um, for you people in other countries that don't play cricket and don't play baseball, then I guess it's called stickball. I don't know. <laughs> but, but we're very proud of our local team. Good job, guys. Um, sure it's going to drive a lot of awareness to Model Beach and we're super excited but because of that and the distraction this week and us watching games and staying up late and and the holiday weekend we don't have a big deep dive into any particular topic this week and we're going to just look at what's going on in the news and maybe talk about six or seven things that we saw this week and just have a little discussion and then we'll be back next week with a full-length episode focusing on social media so if you have any questions about social media for hotels then feel free to send those to us at uh, Fuel Travel on Twitter. So who wants to go first? Misha, you want to kick off? I will kick us off. I have what I thought was a really cool article about a really cool company. So I will briefly dig into this, and I think this will open us all up to discussion because I understand some of us at the table have very strong opinions about this. So my first article was found on T News, and it's about a new company called What Three Words, and they just got $8.5 million in funding, which is a pretty big deal for a small company. The premise of this website, it's a location finding website app, whatever you wanna call it. And they basically have divided the entire planet into three by three meter squares. And each square is identified by three unique, unique words. So it might be, wine table microphone that might be the location where i'm sitting at right now but down the hall it might be three totally different words so it's a really outside of the box way of thinking about location it's not just i'm at this address it's an actual specific i can find you location and they give some really good examples on the website it's um, what3words.com and they have um, a whole area where you can explore their map you can download their app and you can um, look at some videos that kind of explain their thought process behind this and one example that I could personally relate with was if you're at a football game and you're out waiting for somebody outside of the stadium, you know, where are you at the stadium? If you're at a giant college football game or NFL game, you know, trying to find somebody in that situation can be kind of annoying. So that was, you know, similar situations to that or what they created it for. I think it's a really cool idea. I think it's really different. I am pretty sure I'm going to download the app and try it out and maybe try to recruit some friends to use it with me. 
Anybody else have any thoughts about this? This is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard of in my entire life. And the fact that they're getting so much money, uh, it just boggles my mind. Absolutely. just. I'd heard about these guys because they, they're not brand new. They've been around. It was announced, I think, in, it was about three years ago. It was in 2013 when they first started. And, um, you know, the, the concept is trying to get more accurate in terms of location, right? Well... We have this system that already exists that has accuracy of location to within a meter. It's called GPS. And it, it's built into every single device that we own. So to me, this is completely unnecessary. Three years ago, before GPS was really big, I kind of get why they were thinking this was maybe necessary. But now we have cell phones that have GPS. And, and given your example of, say, trying to find your friend at a football game, Yes, that can be difficult, but that could be solved using current GPS technology. It's just that mapping software that's out there doesn't have the capability to get that granular in location because everything's address-based right now. We say, I want to get to here. This is the address I want to get to, right? That's how we currently function. But there's nothing stopping Google Maps or, or Waze or any of these other wayfinding applications from being more specific and, and tagging someone like a friend and saying, I want to find Misha, give me directions to Misha, and it using the GPS on your phone and the GPS on my phone to give me specific directions from point A to point B. Well, I think, you know, I agree with you that perhaps this technology already exists and has exists, but it brings to question, like, why haven't they done it yet? I, I don't know, but but this whole three-word thing is just nonsense. Like One of the, the articles I read from the CEO was... That he, he said, well, you know, GPS is long numbers and it's hard to communicate. So if you say, where are you? And I say 10.7779 by whatever, right, that's hard to relay. But people don't communicate that way. Like if our devices are connected on every social platform ever, then why wouldn't we use that same connectivity in terms of finding each other? Like it just, it doesn't make sense. And, and the words are just ridiculous you know it's like every word in the under the sun well, they have like tr i think trillions of locations to map out they couldn't use all the cool words like cat swine and clemson like you couldn't that's one square right there which i need to find by the way so i can I'm move pretty there sure clemson is not in their dictionary i don't know if it should be i'm gonna it, write a letter there's a geographic location to, to, to find another geographic location okay. i don't know <laughs> But I generally I, don't like to feed Stuart's ego, but I, I have to agree with him on this one. This is so. I looked up what our. I think I wrote it on the show notes. What's our, our address here? I just put in our street address, and what is it? Well, so we're Thunder Debts Baffle, but if you go to another spot in the office, it's a different. Yeah. It, it, it just. I don't know. I think it's I interesting. I want to check it out just because it's something totally different and new. Yeah. Will Apple or somebody else make their apps better and trump this company? Okay, what if your location is like some really weird combination of words that has a negative sentiment? Like what if it's like, I hate dogs or something like that? You I know? mean, I would hope that they would have weeded out, first of all, like words like I them. and we well, and I a and two and us. And perhaps not like super negative connotation words. Like in our address, it has the word debt. That's a negative connotation. I don't Not always. Hey, debt can be a good thing so you can build your credit. Maybe. Positive. Okay. Come on. Good job, Spin Master. Yeah. I just <laughs> I just think this is completely an unnecessary thing in, in 2016. I think the technology is already there. I think mapping software is behind the times, but some's already there. Like Waze already has some of this stuff built in. You can connect to people on the Waze app 
And not only does it tell you when there's a speed trap ahead, but it can tell you where your friends are and you can actually say, give me directions to my friend. That already exists. So just bake it into Apple and Google and everyone's happy and this three word nonsense can go away. That's my two cents. I, I, I'm happy to have my mind changed, but it's, I don't know. I want to check good. it out and fully form an opinion on it. But as of now, I think it's something cool and different and nobody else is doing it well at this point. So. I bet if you go to that office, it's full of hipsters. That's what I get. I mean, I get that's like half of the offices in San Francisco. I don't even know if they're there. They're in office. London. They're oh, they're in London? Yes. Oh, it says it right there. How many hipsters are there in London? But you know how you could tell it was British and not American? Because it's three meters by three meters squared. It's well, not, I just thought that was like that feet. everybody else in the world except for us uses that. So, I mean, Americans are never going to understand it if it's in the metric system. Because you guys are stuck in the Stone Age. You guys, really? You guys. Yeah, I can just... <laughs> hey, I, even though Go I Go back there, to I the motherland then. <laughs> All right. And start talking in three words. <laughs> geographic Yeah, locations. it's your people who thought yeah. of this idea, first of all. It's damn British. <laughs> all righty. Next. Oh, goodness. I don't think the rest of these are going to be quite so hostile. I wanted to start off on an aggressive note. Get all right. us all fired up. All right. Well, maybe this will continue. What's up next? I'll go next. Um, being the data person in the room, I've got a couple of data things to talk about. Um, one is a case study that was recently released by Ryan Solutions. And if you're not familiar with them, they are a hospitality CRM company and they typically send out a case study every week about all the emails that they can study because they send a bunch of emails out. Well, this week's case study was talking about whether people are actually using the navigation bars in your typical email template on a hotel web um, email. And those are the ones at the top where you probably have your home, accommodations, amenities, all the things that probably match the navigation on your website. And this was a study of 5 million recipients. So we're talking about a lot of people and a lot of data that uh, probably gave them back some pretty conclusive uh, information. And what it found is that A, position matters, and B, people are using those links. Um, position number one had almost a 1% click-through rate. That's It was at... 0.9. Position number two was at a 0.5 click-through rate and position number three was at a 0.3% click-through rate. And what's really interesting to me about this is number one, I'd really love to know if there's any similarities in the way that all of these different clients of theirs have those links situated. Are they all home accommodations, amenities, or is there some magical combination there? Um, but we are seeing from our own clients a diversion away from using website links and just going right into the deal of whatever it is that they're trying to get across and not divert um, email subscribers to try to poke around the website. So I, I think this is a pretty interesting piece of data to yeah, look into. I don't know. I struggle with this one a little bit. Um, because we don't really have the context. It's easy to tell a narrative from data that you want to tell in you know, we, we're seeing opposite data to this, right? We're seeing people don't use those navigation. And, and when you really think about it, a lot of these people, if you're doing a good job subscribing people the right way and they're interested in your brand and they're aware of your brand and you're sending the right message to them, then do the, do, does the navigation really need to be there or is it what you're trying to get them to do next that really matters? So I, that's I know, what I'm curious about. I, I would love to see some examples of what they actually sent mm -hmm. because it could just be that the content within there was not good yeah you know 
Uh, we also don't know what those navigation items were. They say one is more likely, but that number one could have been anything. Best deals, yeah. you know. So I think the context of it is tough. I think the other thing to to think about with email is people get trapped in vanity metrics really way too much with email. So they'll say, for example, they'll do a subject line A-B test and the metric of which one won is open rate, right? right? But a lot of people got into this really, really dangerous habit of doing spoofy, spammy subject lines just to get people to open the email. But that can actually have a negative effect. It can, one, increase your unsubscribe rate, two, alienate them so their perception of your brand diminishes, they're less likely to transact. At the end of the day, if you're trying to get someone to accomplish something, fill out a questionnaire or purchase a product or whatever it is, that should be the metric that you're measuring success on, regardless of what it is you're testing. So like this click-through thing, you know, what did it actually do to revenue? You know, that's right. the question. Yep. Did, did it re- Does having the navigation positively impact revenue and conversion? Or negatively, because that's that's really all that matters at the end of the day. I don't care where people are clicking; I just care that they're doing what I ultimately need them to do, which is transact. I agree with you on that. I would have liked to have seen that that full information in that case study, but it was not there. It's interesting. I like it when when people come out and challenge the data that we see, you mm-hmm. know, and challenge our thinking, so we can look at it again backwards and forwards and see if hey, maybe maybe we're missing something here. So definitely a good conversation piece. Mm-hmm. That's, that's your input, Misha, is mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not as email savvy as some of you, but I agree with you, Stuart. Like, I really would have liked to see some examples of the types of emails that they were sending and also that at the end of the day, you know, did they accomplish what you're trying to get them to do? Yeah. You know, I think especially with even more guilty of it, you know, or even some of our clients, you know, you're, they're so focused on that open rate, but what happens after they open it is more important than just if they open it because if you get a million opens but nobody does anything i mean we've all had those emails right where it's like personalized and you're gonna miss out if you don't uh, you know something that you're like man i really know it probably shouldn't open this but let me click on it just in case and you click on it it's the same garbage message in there they're trying to sell you something you don't want and it's like Mm -hmm. ah man that just it alienates people so guys message to you at home listening is don't focus so much on open rate or even click-through rate, focus on the conversion at the end. Like, what are you ultimately doing at the end? And always, always keep an eye on what impact it has on your unsubscribe rate, because that's a really good indicator of whether or not you're pissing people off. Yeah, and with the headlines too, I've noticed, and not necessarily in the hotel space, but more retail, some of the emails that I signed up for, I mean, the emails, headlines are just out of control with trying to be too catchy and too mm-hmm. clever, and it's just, like, it just shaking enough my head enough. over here, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like the beginning. we're at the beginning of a backlash tool for that. All right, what's next? So I have an interesting article. This one was found on skift.com, and it discusses TripAdvisor and kind of the issue with the hotel bookings and the potential revenue for the tours and restaurants and attractions piece of the platform. So it's not really a secret that TripAdvisor has made a big push towards their instant book and they've actually seen a decrease in revenue and revenue per hotel shopper. And so there's been a lot of discussions, you know, internally and externally about the move to instant book and the repercussions of this. And the article kind of goes into, you know, how a lot of the investors and higher ups are really pushing the hotel product of it, which, you know, I think we all agree is a major game changer in the hotel space. 
but also, um, you know, Skiff is expressing that not to underplay the potential revenue of the monetization of the attractions and restaurants and tours space of this. And I was actually just on the app this week. Um, I'm working on a content piece where we're looking at every single travel app, which there are a lot of them, by the way. Um, so look forward to that coming out. But I was looking at TripAdvisor and I looked over at you, Stuart, and one of our coworkers, and I saw Open Table had integrated with TripAdvisor and I had no idea that was even a thing. So I don't know if that's a recent thing or a new thing, um, but I think we can definitely anticipate them to monetize as much of the platform as they can. So anytime you're looking at um, tours or attractions or restaurants, I mean, that's a huge chunk of their business right there. You know, I anytime I go to a restaurant, or go out to do anything, that's the first thing I think of to do, more so than staying at a hotel, personally. When I stay at a hotel, you know, I, I leave, check out, whatever, and I might fill out the hotel survey, but if I go to a restaurant, that's the first thing I think to do. Again, fake internet points, they work really well for me, but I always think to go review my restaurant or go review the attraction. So that's a huge, you know, potential revenue for them right there. So I think that's something for everybody who's invested in this to really take into consideration with what direction they're going to go in. I mean, I can say I just came back from my first vacation in a really long time. Um, we were down in Florida, and I lived on TripAdvisor looking at restaurants and what was near what and the reviews and all that stuff. So I, I can definitely see that potential as well. Yeah, it's, you know, the sands are shifting so much in the space. And, and we've seen so much consolidation in the OTA space. You really only got two major players now in the Expedia group and the Priceline group, they pretty much have bought everyone up. There's even speculation that TripAdvisor may get bought by one of those two groups. So that is also factoring in the, the fact that TripAdvisor's revenue, first quarter earnings were down so much. It's gotta have you scratch your head. Like what is their game plan? Like, are, they, are they trying to set themselves up to get bought? Or are they trying to diversify their portfolio so it's not just so hotel centric because mm -hmm. they've got to replace some of that lost revenue. Now, now they believe that they to be long term sustainable, they have to do direct bookings. Because we've talked about this in previous episodes, I think the TripAdvisor friend or foe episode, we talked about this, but TripAdvisor is under threat from the OTAs and OTAs are under threat from TripAdvisor. You know, they're playing nice together right now because they help each other, but ultimately they all want the same thing, which is they want the direct relationship between them and the hotel and the direct relationship between them and the consumer. And so they can't both be middlemen in there ultimately. So I, don't, I really don't know what TripAdvisor is trying to do. You know, if I was them, I would probably go down this diversified route, mm -hmm. really try to get own the customer in everything they consume when traveling. We talked about verified reviews before. I think that's a route that can differentiate them from a lot of these other guys if they're getting more direct bookings. but. Yeah, this is, this is really interesting to me. Well, I think this is an interesting opportunity from a search perspective as well. You think about in the hotel space, you have a branded hotel name. TripAdvisor is going to rank really well. They're probably not going to be number one, but they're going to be number two or three on that search engine mm -hmm. results page. So they're getting those clicks. They're driving that traffic away from the hotel website. They could potentially do this with not only branded attractions, and they have the content for it. Why would they not, you know? And also for the more generic things to do, they already rank really well for that. So if they were to put a little bit more time and effort into beefing up their content, which they're already doing with local guides mm -hmm. and getting you know people's input on putting together these itineraries, they could grab a ton more search volume and that could justify monetizing those clicks. 
Right, and you know, there's there's a couple of websites out there that kind of predict where businesses are going by looking at the types of jobs they have posted. And I was reading an article last week that TripAdvisor has a position. I forget the title, but it was basically um, someone in charge of CRM and and marketing for TripAdvisor. And in the description, it mentioned something about as TripAdvisor evolves from essentially an ad platform to a uh, consumer platform for con- for actually booking packages, then we need someone to focus on uh, email and CRM and stuff like that. So now that they're getting people to book, they're getting contact information. So not only do they know where people are researching, but they know where they've booked and when they're coming. So they've got their email address, they've probably got their phone number, they're probably gonna get permission to text people, people are downloading the app. So now they really have more data than anyone else to start saying, here are the restaurants to stay at, mm-hmm. book through open table. Here are the attractions to go, here are the events on the dates that you're actually showing. Mm-hmm. So they have really mm-hmm. a, a 360 view of the consumer mm-hmm. now that they can through email, through text, through messengers, through apps, they can really target people with sales messages. So that might be where they're going. I don't know. Hmm. Interesting, huh? Quite. Yeah, but then they'll probably get all this done and then Expedia will come and buy them and, and they'll have to shut all that stuff down. But who knows? All right, what's next? Uh, I guess I will go next unless you want to go next. Uh, yeah, we can. I can go next. I saw an article on um, T News about Kayak now launching their first Facebook bot. And for you guys that don't know what that is, there's been a lot of stuff about this in the news recently. So Expedia's already come out with one. I think Skyscanner's already had one. Uh, Hipmunk's already had one. Um, it, this is the, the gold rush, I think, of the travel industry right now. Everyone's scrambling to get this natural language processing, artificial intelligence kind of order responding assistance. And a lot of them are doing it on Facebook. Some are doing it in their apps too. But basically what Kayak's doing is you can message them on Facebook to their bot and say, I want to stay in San Francisco tonight. What hotels are available? And in through a series of input and response from uh, Kayak, you can actually book a hotel room through this texting kind of service on Facebook. Expedia's already done this too. What differentiates Kayak a little bit is they... they cater for people in any phase of the research so you don't like with uh, Expedia you pretty much have to say I want to stay in this city and then it goes to the property level and then the room type with kayak you can just say hey where can I go for six hundred dollars and so you can start at the very beginning of the funnel or if you already know where you want to stay hey I want to book the Ritz Carlton in this city tonight how much is it so this is a frontier that that's you know, very confusing to a lot of people, but I think it is the next evolution of travel. And I think this is kind of a bridge technology, honestly, because to me, typing it in and waiting for, you don't have to wait long, but getting the response and then responding again, to me, isn't quite as slick or efficient as me just click, click, clicking on a website or a mobile app. But I think where this is going is with natural language processing and understanding the semantics of what people are actually saying and asking for and the meaning behind that and being able to cater to that request, this is just a step before we get into the voice side of things, right? And we've already got technology out there like Amazon Echo that you can already say, hey, I need more of this product that I buy on Amazon and it just buys it for you. And there's integration where you can with like Domino's Pizza where you can say I want a large pepperoni pizza 
and it orders it for you and charges your account. I think travel is the next thing that's going to get integrated with that, that kind of technology, with the series and the echoes of the world. But kayak, kayaks is pretty cool. If you, if you want to play around with it, I would, I would recommend it. It's pretty neat. I think it could be a huge advantage in the future when it comes to not just booking a room, but just being genuinely helpful. I know a lot of marketers, especially in the social media space, spend a lot of time monitoring pages and answering questions and you know talking to people, which is great. It has that personal touch, but a lot of the questions are the same questions over and over from people. Mm-hmm. So you know, being able to automate some of that would save so much time from a marketing perspective. Yeah, and we talked last week after a high-tech um, trip, we talked about... Zingle, which is doing some of that on the property level mm-hmm. with text messaging, where you can say, hey, what's my Wi-Fi password? And it automates that. So I definitely think you're right in terms of efficiency. But people have to be really careful because this can go terribly, terribly wrong. The, the, the machine learning side of, of natural language processing is in its infancy. And when you look at people like Microsoft that try to do it on Twitter, did you see that where they had the automated account? where it would basically adapt to how people were interacting with it and its personality became really offensive and really (laughs) racist because that's what the internet is a lot of times. It can go terribly wrong. So um, you've got to be really careful with this stuff. But, you know, I, I definitely think this is the infancy of something really disruptive in the travel space. And I think we're going to see a lot more people coming out with, um, with bots. We're actually working with a local portal destination right now to come out with a Facebook automation for simple questions like weather and um, you know things to do and events and stuff like that. So I, yeah, I definitely buy into this direction. I just I wonder if consumers are going to adopt it yet or if it's going to take another jump into the voice command before it really takes off. We should use um, an automation tool that uses three words. <laughs> Terrible idea. <laughs> Would it be metric or? No, like what events today? Okay. I thought you were going back to your what three words thing with the location. No, I was just, you know. Okay. Is it going to be Cats, Wine, and Flintstone again? It could be, yeah. Okay. The, the only response to that would be like a high five. Hey, speak, speaking of cats, you got your first animated cat gift. I did. I got my first animated cat gift. How about that? Who was it that sent it to you? It was a lovely gentleman from Boostly UK. Yeah, so he's going to have some uh, Trip T's OTA power socks on his way. Yeah, he's been very interactive with a lot of our tweets and our podcasts and stuff, so yeah. we definitely appreciate it. So and he sent me a cat gift, so. So the podcast has a groupie, so thanks Mr. Boostly UK. I also like wine. You can look up our address on three simple words. Or... Well, you just tell them the three words and they can send wine to, what was it? Thunder, debt, something? Oh, it was Thunder Debt Baffle. Yeah, so send wine to Thunder Be- Debt Baffle. Baffle, and Misha will be very appreciative. Yes. I don't have any more socks to give, though. Sorry. I'll um, give you a pair of mine if it makes you feel better. They're not fancy, though. Wash them first, please. Yeah, they're worn. Okay. All right, I actually have cat socks. <laughs> you can have my cat I'm socks. I'm shaking my head. It doesn't surprise me. You have a cat Christmas sweater. All right, let's move on. I'm sure okay. people don't want to hear too much about cats. Okay, then. It's a holiday weekend. We apologize. Uh, okay. I have a study that is published on hotelmarketing.com. Uh, it was 
performed by a company called iModerate, and it's a study of 1,500 consumers looking at the behavior of people who stay with Airbnb versus a traditional hotel. And it looks at the personalities of the two different types of guests, and the study shows that as of right now, those people are extremely different in their personality types versus each other. Um, but as time goes on, that gap is closing. Um, I thought that some of these personalities uh, descriptions were kind of interesting. So not surprising is the Airbnb type, which they're described as being adventurous. They're younger travelers. They're risk takers. They're looking for you know a very unique and localized experience. So obviously looking for a low price. Um, and they're really just looking for that local experience. But what did kind of surprise me is the description of a traditional hotel guest, and they have it listed as conservative, private, and introverted. Hmm. Which, on the Airbnb side, that makes sense that those people are more adventurous, but I don't necessarily think that ho all hotel guests are conservative, private, and introverted. I am, but that's just me. I don't think that's all hotel guests. Um, but standard traditional hotel guests are looking for predictable processes when they book their hotel, uh, they want consistency in their amenities uh, versus the location of where they're going to be, um, and trust is a very big issue when booking a hotel, and that was one of the things that really stood out on the hotel side. And this also stood out to me as a weird trait, but hotel guests are also mildly obsessed with towels, linens, and pillows. <laughs> so I, as I don't know. As opposed to Airbnb <laughs> guests. As Airbnb. opposed to Airbnb, none of those things were discussed from Airbnb. Yeah. So they're okay with mildew on the Apparently. towels? Apparently. There's a bunch of hippies. They don't care. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. I mean, I, I think some generalizations are probably true, but those seem like some very, like, stark yes. differences in yeah. your guest profile, which I agree with you. I think it's a little, you know, not everybody that stays at hotels. Like, I think business travel is a huge range of people that probably all stay at hotels, but I think, you know, you and I as business travelers are very different people. Right. Yeah, and you think about business travelers, right? A lot of them are, are, are limited by corporate rules and regulations, mm -hmm. right? There's, there's liability and insurance questions. There's, you know, they might have a, a corporate rate with a certain chain. Sure. So, so it, it's certainly less likely that a business travel is going to go there. But I, I see that, you know, Airbnb and the whole concept of this sharing economy in general, I think is, is fairly new. It certainly doesn't make sense to a lot of people. I'd say anyone over the age of 25, 30, it is, it's more foreign to them, right? Mm -hmm. Because they've been in a world where this didn't exist. Whereas I'd say millennials, uh, maybe even Gen Ys, they're, they're, they're used to this. It's been around for a lot of their adult life. So I think naturally this is gonna skew younger. Naturally mm -hmm. it's gonna sure. skew more risk takers because they're early adopters. With anything new and innovative, you have a curve, right? You have these people that are innovators that are willing to take it, and you have the early adopters then you have the early majority, the late majority, and then the laggers. And, and we're really still at the start. I think we're getting into the, the early adopters phase pretty soon. So, so it'll probably grow. And I think Europe's ahead of the US in that regard. But it's not ever, ever, ever gonna threaten the hotel industry because it's never gonna appeal to the majority. It just, you know, people want consistency. Their, their expectations are too high. They just, 
they want certain things that Airbnb is going to struggle to give in its current form, but I think Airbnb is going to have to evolve to become more mainstream. Mm -hmm. And you even see hotels now offering inventory on Airbnb. Right. You know, so mm -hmm. does Airbnb ultimately become more of a catch-all OTA that also has this you know, off-brand inventory as well as on-brand inventory? Yeah. So, I mean, the study is saying that from the hotel standpoint, in terms of bridging that gap a little bit, you know, the major hotel brands now have a lot of smaller boutique mm -hmm. brands making it a little more comparable to that Airbnb experience. Yeah. So, yeah. And it, experience is the key word, right? right? Because I think with with Airbnb and a lot of newer things, this sharing economy, a lot of it is about the narrative and it's right. about, get, you know, when Airbnb started, it was all about the stories people were telling about mm -hmm. the the bed and breakfast owner because you would got to interact with them and sit at a dinner table with them and eat right. with them and learn from them. Airbnb has gone away from that. That still exists, but the majority of it, I mean, Misha, you've talked about this with your mom being in New Orleans where a lot of people just see it as a way to make a quick buck. So they're taking stuff that was long-term rentals and mm -hmm. just throwing it on Airbnb now because they can make more in a week than they used to make in a month. So yeah. I think the inventory on Airbnb has shifted, mm -hmm. you know? I'll say that just I am very curious about this and I haven't had a chance to book with it yet, but I love their app. I love the usability, the design, everything about it, but I have definitely seen a major inventory shift. Mm -hmm. Even just looking at our market in Myrtle Beach, it was more, um, you know, maybe off the beaten path condos or people that um, we have a lot of seasonal guests here, so some, like second homes, so people were renting out their second homes. But I'm seeing a lot more people that are renting out their oceanfront condo. So it might not be what you think of when you, like when I think of Airbnb, I think of staying in someone's guest house or yeah. you know staying in someone's loft downtown right. or something. But I'm seeing a lot more more traditional type hotel rooms yeah. that are being listed. Which would typically be a vacation rental. You know, I, I think Airbnb is something that, that a lot of people are scared of. And a lot of people are frustrated with because of the, the, the legal side of it. You know, the, the legislation that exists that you have to adhere to certain regulations mm -hmm. if you're a hotel mm -hmm. versus if you're just renting on Airbnb. And, and there's certainly a disparity there right now that, that in terms of taxation and, sure. and regulation that I think has to be addressed. Mm -hmm. It's only fair for the accommodation industry to collect mm -hmm. fair tax to, to force the same rules on anyone that's doing this. Mm -hmm. um, there, there was... I was reading an article recently about people that just the liability side on Airbnb, you just, you're not covered nearly as well mm -hmm. as if you're traveling and staying at a, a, an establishment that has insurance and has all this other stuff. So that to me is why it's not in its current form going to become mainstream, but certainly is, is eating away at some inventory in some cities. What's next? I have news for anybody who did not hear it. Facebook made an announcement this week that they are once again changing the news feed. Ah, oh, everybody freak out. Just get used to this happening like uh, every yeah. every few months. Because... Well, the same with Google. Yeah. It happens. Everybody freaks out. But so their um, official newsroom conference um, is on their blog. But the title is Building a Better News Feed for You. So the major implication for marketers is that they are going to be favoring friends and family over business or sponsored content. So the actual article that I saw this on, it was Fast Company, and they have um, an article called Seven Ways Facebook's Big Algorithm Change Will Affect Marketers and Publishers. So I won't go through all of the things, um, but some of these actually resonated with me because I've seen some of these happening already with some of the accounts that we manage. 
Um, so one of the things we're seeing is that publishers are going to have to pay for more traffic, which is not a secret. We've been seeing this not for... All, it's, I mean, that's like obvious, right? Yeah, but it's going to continue. Like organic reach is just going to continue to not be a thing. Yeah. Um, ad costs are going up. Mm-hmm. We've seen this mm-hmm. even with um, some of the ads that we've just been running recently. We've seen this um, instant article explosion will slow down. I guess just because a lot of those are sponsored content or featured mm-hmm. content, and they're not going to be favoring that as much. And another one I mentioned was that everyone might want to slow their roll on video which I thought was interesting because I feel like video has been such a big thing, but I think the metrics are really skewed because, you know. Yeah. I can say from my experience, you look at your video metrics in Facebook and it's like, oh, you had this many views, but then you break it down by how much of the video people were viewing. It is, it tells a much different story. So I think that's what they were alluding to with this one. So, you know, I don't think it's any surprise that Facebook is going to continue to evolve and continue to change the way things are and are always testing. I mean, it's just like any other algorithm with any other platform. So I think marketers, we're just going to have to continue to adjust and roll with the punches and do the best that we can with what we're given. Yeah. And it's just something you need to continue to test and try. You know, I think we talk here, the word we use a lot is scrappy. You've, you've got to just be agile and fluid with your approach. I think, yes, things are changing. Yes, we're going to have to pay more to get exposure. And yes, videos probably in the future are not going to be as, as, prevalent but right now they are right and we've been experimenting a lot with facebook live video for example and i think that's the key is facebook is so if it's not in your face in your feed right then like if you see something that somebody posted six hours ago Mm -hmm. are you do you care about it versus what's happening right now so like you said with a live video right so i'll give an example i was working with a client earlier today and we were talking about a facebook live video they did where they just talked about special that they're running and showed the beach and while it was on, they had 300 people watching the video live. And of those 300 people, 50% had sound on, 50% had sound off. Now, afterwards, they've had 10,000, 20,000 people watch the video not live. And of those people, 85% of them did not have the sound on. Mm. You know? So that tells you right there that, that mm. it's people scrolling through and right. they're not going there to look at that. Versus Facebook live video... You get a notification right now, and people and it tells you, "Hey, this is going on live now." So people pay attention to it. So if you're not experimenting with Facebook Live Video as a hotel right now, I recommend that you try it because we're we're at that arbitrage phase where you can get benefit from it right now. But the market's going to catch up. Facebook's going to adapt, so you can't take advantage of that, and and the value is going to decrease. But right now is the time to jump on Facebook Live Video. Two three months from now, you may have missed that opportunity. So do it today and just go try it just just go do it don't worry about it might fail you can delete it just go try it it works yeah i agree i think it's really big now and they're showing a lot of them now i mean Mm -hmm. i get notifications probably at least once maybe twice a day about somebody's doing a live video Mm -hmm. and it's all pages that i've opted in i mean i like the page i Mm -hmm. find it interesting but you know if it continues to grow and people keep doing it people are going to get annoyed by the notifications and they're going to you know start pushing those down some and i think facebook's probably looking at that data okay Mm -hmm. when it first started people were clicking on it 90 percent of the time and now it's 70 percent, and they're going to be like ah people don't care as much but i've seen individuals doing facebook live video more and more too like someone was saying they did a baby reveal video the other day that they saw on Facebook, which is, you know, a gender reveal. So I, I think it's so easy to do. Just pick up mm-hmm. your phone and just 
click a couple of buttons and, and you're live. You know? Or the Facebook 360, um, like the panoramic camera. That's pretty cool. The too. pictures. I know mm-hmm. we've experimented with some of those, but I've seen some, I mean, huge companies doing 360 videos, mm-hmm. and those are freaking cool. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, so, I don't know, experiment with it. Get ready to pay more. I mean, it, there's a lot of people spent a good amount of money to try to build up a fan base and now you're gonna spend more money to reach them. So I think it's really important to make sure that your social media strategy is one that resonates, that the message is interesting, that you're telling a unique story, that it's something people are gonna read. Because there's still that kind of edge rank type portion to the algorithm where if more people like and share and comment on your content, the more likely you are to show up in, in someone's feed. So you've really got to work on engagement. Otherwise, you're gonna be spending a lot more money on Facebook than you were. But I still like Facebook. I still think relative to a lot of other advertising channels, it's still fairly cheap. And that's probably why Facebook's dialing up the cost a little bit. Certainly, I, I recommend people having a Facebook advertising strategy, but in trying video. But yeah, it'll keep going up. Everything does. Then we'll all jump to Snapchat. It'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> I saw, well, this is, I did not have this article prepared, but I did read a small article about how a lot of, it was particular to foodies, so all the foodie accounts on Instagram, mm-hmm. they're switching over to Snapchat now. So if you're a foodie, apparently Snapchat's the place to be. Really? <laughs> huh. Yeah. I have yet to see any food stores pushed on my Snapchat. I don't know. I've got the cat market covered. That's I haven't really dabbled into food. That doesn't surprise me. Is there a big cat market on Snapchat? I all my friends seem to enjoy it. So nice. Okay. Do we have any other articles? Or was that it? I think that's it. We, our article bucket is empty. Okay. Well, this was going to be a short episode, but it ended up being a really long episode. It's actually forty-ish minutes. So. Where can they find you on the web, Misha Bukikio? You can find me on Twitter at Marketing Misha. That is at Marketing M-E-I-S-H-A. And Melissa, where can they find you? On Twitter, I am at M-A Kavanaugh, K-A-V-A-N-A-G-H. And you can find me at Stuart Butler, S-T-U-A-R-T-B-U-T-L-E-R. You can find us collectively at Fuel Travel. If you're interested, we put out a travel study and you can download that at 2,900 Leisure Travelers. Answered a bunch of questions about why they book, where they book, and all this fun stuff that you can learn a lot from. You can go to fueltravel.com study to get that. And then Melissa published an awesome ABC guide to testing, testing. and optimizing your website. You can get that at fueltravel.com ABC. And please, please share this podcast with other people. We're seeing week after week more and more people joining listening and we really really appreciate that so tell other people uh, please leave a review put in some comments we'd love to hear from you we'd love to hear your questions next week we're going to be talking about social media so please submit your questions about social media and that is it for this week so you have been listening to the fuel hotel marketing podcast socks